I'm Joyce Hornady. You might say accuracy is my business. I make bullets. You are listening to the Hornady Podcast. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the show. Hello, guys. Welcome back to the Hornady Podcast. Thanks for tuning in this week. I'm your host, Seth Swerzyk, and we've got another great show for you this week. And we're taking that next step into the deep dive on the study of ballistics. Now, this is going to be a departure from ballistics and focus on everybody's favorite subject, which is math and statistics and probability. Uh, now, we'll give a much broader uh, description of the podcast here in a minute on about what we are going to cover. But before we get there, uh, today's experts around the table, across the table, senior ballistician Jaden Quinlan and beside me, project engineer Miles Neville. Guys, thanks for coming on the show. You bet. Oh, yeah. So this is a topic that we've been wanting to put out in podcast form for a while. It's one that, you know, with, with your guys' help, we've, we've really embraced here at the factory and it's changed how we produce bullets, how we produce ammo, how we set rifles up, how we ourselves set up our hunting and our competition rifles. And in the world of shooting and precision shooting specifically, there's a lot of dogma. There's a lot of things that just get propagated over and over and over and over and over again because that's what they read on the internet. And, you know, there's a lot of famous websites out there that just keep putting out same information. Someone reads it, ingests it, regurgitates it, and it just continues on. Well, you know, like I was saying, we've learned a lot on, you know, the last couple of years in, in statistics and probability and how it applies to what we do as precision rifle shooters. So, uh, for the audience out there, if you're a precision rifle shooter, if you're a reloader, if you're a hand loader, if you're setting up any rifle system for precision, accuracy, or long-range performance, then this podcast is going to be directly directed at you. Directly directed at you. <laughs> uh, uh, because it can help save you some time, can help save you some money. And um, with that, I'm going to turn it over to you guys because I am the novice here. So let's go over maybe broad level first, kind of yeah, we can talk a little bit about that dogma and about that kind of regurgitated information. And then let's hit some broad level definitions. What are we really looking at? Velocity, dispersion, extreme spread, standard deviation, that kind of stuff. Let's lay some groundwork before we get into it. Okay. <clears throat> I think one thing we need to talk about before getting into the nitty gritty of it is we're going to ruffle some feathers here. Like you said, that dogma that's been around forever, regardless of the source that it came from. Whether you read an article, um, you're a member of the firearms industry, that dogma is built into that as well. Um, whatever the source is, you have your own methods. They've worked for you as you perceive them in the past. So we're not trying to trash any of that in this. We're simply telling you what we've learned and maybe give you the ability to make better decisions moving forward. So ego, unfortunately, is always a part of this conversation because everybody wants to be right. Uh, I think, at least from my perspective, I'm not sitting here to tell people I'm right. I'm sitting here to tell people, hey, here's what we've learned. I, yeah. I think you guys would agree with that. I think so, yeah. Like, oh, yeah, we poked and prodded around a little bit, and this is what we found. That's mm -hmm. kind of yeah. more the story here, not you should do it the way we do it because we say so. Right? Yeah, that's a good point. Thanks for bringing that up and addressing that right out of the gate because we're not gathered here to preach to people. Um, nor are we presenting this stuff as 100% you have to do it or you're, you know, all of your methods are wrong. The reality is, uh, and I know we've talked about this before, you know, we've seen what we've seen. We've done a lot of testing and, mm -hmm. and recorded a lot of results. And we know what we do know, but there's a lot that we don't know. There's a lot that we haven't tested. This sure. is just our findings 
that we're trying to help people with. Right, right. Um, and I think a big, uh, uh, a big proof to that, uh, as we get into it will be, you know, we all three, all four of us in the room, all, however many of us in this co- uh, company, we all go about load development and setting up a rifle differently, mm-hmm. but we all get to pretty much the same end result. So that should right. tell you something. Right. All right. So yeah, ego aside, it's always hard to stifle that, but. Yeah. yeah. So the, the topics that we're going to kind of cover is trying to assess how good something is, whether that's the consistency of muzzle velocity, you know, these metrics that we hold um, of importance, group size, what's the capability of this rifle with this load, you know, those kind of things are what this is about. And what, what we kind of did was said, okay, well, there's these like pre-established ways that you grow up in doing this, right? You shoot three shot groups for X reason, or you shoot 10 shot groups for whatever reason. And what we did was said, well, how much is enough? Is a three shot group enough? Is a five shot group enough? Is a 10 shot group enough? And you can drive yourself mad with statistics, uh, which we'll talk a little bit about here because they do have a play into this. But instead, we just went and conducted a huge amount of large sample size testing and said, well, what's what's good enough? And the answer varies, sure. um, which we'll, we'll talk to. But Miles, I mean, talk a little bit about the beginnings of that. Yeah, I think uh, you kind of kicked it off with some ammunition production for 300 PRC. Mm-hmm. And um, you had done... A 50 shot string i think with with some 300 prc ammunition that was coming off the factory uh floor and then and, and then you changed something i think it was a powder charge or you know something to that effect uh and then you dropped it down maybe a half grain at a time and did a couple 50 shot strings and we're like well this isn't these trends that we think we see with five shot tests that everybody does for ladder or ocw load development they, they kind of aren't holding up like mm-hmm. they're not repeating in the 50 shot yeah. strings and so, yeah, I kind of took that and ran with it. And so I took 223, 6 Arc, 6.5 Creedmoor, and a little bit more 300 PRC. Uh, and just really, yeah, burned out a couple barrels, smoking 35 and 50 shot, 100 shot groups just to see um, what is actually there, what happens when you stretch that sample size out. Um, and... And, you know, there's a ton of testing that I did. And these aren't, when I say I'm doing 50 shot strings, they're not like back to back to back burning 50 rounds as fast as I can. They're usually composites where we can keep a common reference point with our accuracy fixture where I'll let the barrel cool off, you know, do five or 10 shots, let it cool off five or 10 shots. And, um, but yeah, so, so the typical, the historical dogma or whatever is you, you do like a ladder test where you'll take powder charge and vary it three tenths or half a grain over a grain and a half or two grain spread. And you'll see how those do for muzzle velocity, extreme spread or standard deviation. You shoot three or five of those or one with some test methods too. Some guys will do that. And then you go across and so you got all those results and then you take, okay, well, these kind of trended better here and then kind of worse on either end, or they just kept getting worse or they kept getting better. But like you kind of, you know, you get this, up and down sinusoidal sort of results of your data. And so you'll hear people talk about nodes like, oh, well, this must be the high node and the low node, or, you know, like there's, there's these perceived interpretations of that data. Um, when you take it as, you know, gospel that, oh, well, I shot this five shot group and that did this, those are my results. And so you take the best of that. And then maybe you do another one where you test seating depth and, you know, you do the, you know, take the best of that. Well, you know, you had the best powder charge, right? And then you take the best seating depth. And then you verify it and 
but all the all the rest of that you know and then you'll go you'll shoot that one that you pick and you'll keep shooting it you know for however long until you get bored and want to try something else or shoot the barrel out or whatever um or see results that kind of make your you know raise an eyebrow like oh that shouldn't have happened this was supposed to be a good load but you never go back and nobody ever really tests the bad ones again not very many people not right. very many people go back and say you know oh these bad ones you know let's try those again nobody yeah. ever really does right. that so there's you you basically create a confirmation bias funnel is what i call it where you funnel yourself into one say okay well that's the best of that do another metric okay that's the best of that and you really believe that that's the best but if you take that and shoot it on a large sample repeat that whole test on you know 35 shots per variable change that you do you'll see that that sinusoidal behavior all the amplitude of those waves just pencils down yeah flattens down to nothing yeah Uh, and so what you get out of that then is like uh muzzle velocity versus charge weight right a lot of a common thing people look for is flat spots so they'll increase charge weight look at the velocity that they record and it'll go up and then it'll flatten out and then it'll go up again and they say oh well that's that's my velocity node that's where my velocity is consistent from this charge weight to this charge weight my velocity doesn't move around pretty standard method that people use pretty often in Mm -hmm. the industry when you shoot 30 or 50 shots at each charge weight like that what you see is just a nearly linear increase in muzzle velocity uh what you see with standard deviations and extreme spreads at each charge weight is that they're basically identical all the way all across. the way up and if you were to take an average line of that muzzle velocity versus powder charge line as the average as you increase powder charge what your muzzle velocity increases as well and then put an error bracket on that for your extreme spread, what that is, plus or minus. And then you shoot a bunch of, or break it down into five-shot sa- samples for each weight. What you'll see is those sinusoidal node behaviors that people are looking for all just dance around inside the error bars of, oh. of the average line plus error bars. They just bounce around in there. And so those flat spots aren't really flat spots. It's just noisy, small sample size data. Mm-hmm. And you're getting taken for a loop. Yeah, because you believe in this small sample data that isn't necessarily repeatable. Yep, I think you just laid out pretty much in the world of precision rifle shooting how almost everybody it seems goes. Yeah, they either do the one shot looking for charge weight and velocity, or they they get their charge weight for velocity, and then they tune their seating depth. And most people are doing between three and ten shot samples. Uh, Right. And that's pretty much how it's been done since I've inter- entered the precision right. rifle world. Mm-hmm. And and that, again, just keeps getting regurgitated to every new person out there. Yeah. So yep. let's break it down from a fundamental standpoint here. When we're talking velocity numbers, now, Miles, you mentioned you did all this testing, these big, you know, 30, 35, 50, 100 shot samples with charge weight, with different brass, different primers, uh, seating depth. I mean, just all over the place. So... Jaden, kicking it back over to you, when we were talking about some of those metrics, let's define some of those just so we know exactly what we're talking about and so the listener, the viewer know what we're looking at. Sure. Quick caveat, you should be watching this one too. Yeah. As, yeah. as with most of the episodes that we have Miles and Jaden on, uh, we'll do our best to make them audibly digestible. But if you can jump on YouTube, check this one out. We do have some visual aids. Yeah. Of all the ones that we've made that statement, this is probably going to be the most audibly digestible if you can't go view it, but viewing it would, would be better. Okay. Um, before I go into that, though, something uh, came up in my mind of what Miles was saying, and I don't want to lose anybody at this point in the podcast of saying, 
well, yeah, you guys work for an ammo company. You can go shoot 30, 50, or 100 shot groups and it doesn't cost you anything. I'm paying for these products and they're expensive and there's a reason why I don't shoot that many because I can't afford to. 100% valid point. Uh, we definitely understand that. And, and again, we're not necessarily recommending anything at all. We're going to show you all of your options from, a, say, a three-shot group up to a 100-shot group. We're just going to show you what we found and you can determine what's right for you on that cost-benefit yeah. analysis thing. Um, and we'll talk about that in more detail a little sure. bit later. And but, maybe at the end of it, when we're all done with the nitty gritty, we just bounce around the table here and just explain how we do it now. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, there's a lot of stuff yeah. we still pay for. I still yeah. buy primers. I still buy powder. Yeah. Right? Uh, yeah. I definitely don't do 35 shots of every variable yeah. for every barrel and uh, yeah. cartridge combination right. that I have. <laughs> I, there's no way. Yeah. So. Well, let's cover, um, you know, the the most simple... Uh, statistical metrics that we use, and that would be extreme spread and standard deviation. I'll go into to detail on those, and then Miles, maybe I'll throw it over to you to talk about some of the stuff that some of the more advanced listeners have probably heard of. Um, we're not going to delve way down into those because yeah. this podcast would get too long. For too that. long and too yeah yeah. This is not. We'll we'll touch on some of the broad context of statistics and probability and that kind of stuff, but this is not a math podcast yeah. We'll, yeah, yeah. we'll leave that stuff for nobody else. wants to watch that if they don't have to yeah, yeah agreed yeah it's no fun okay so the first one is extreme spread this is something that most shooters have heard of regardless of their level of experience um, the definition of extreme spread is the difference between the highest and lowest recorded velocities and if you're watching recorded is underlined for a reason um, so this would be an example we have a graph pulled up where we just have a, a plot of muzzle velocity versus the the sample the number of shots right and what we see is just like miles said that kind of sinusoidal bouncing around of results right there's just kind of a random random patterning to it you get high shots low shots shots in the middle shots in between they're kind of just all over the place mm -hmm. what your extreme spread is is the difference between the highest and the lowest shots that were recorded is the key point to that statement. And what that does is it tells you how bad something was. And was is underlined there because it's past tense. You recorded that data set, that's how bad it was. That doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be that way in the future moving forward. Sure. Extreme spread is not a predictive tool, it's a record tool. So that leads us into standard deviation, the next one. This one is probably a lot less understood. Um, but it is well understood by much of the community. I mean, the, the knowledge here has, has grown a lot. But um, standard deviation here, we're talking about velocity. This also applies to uh, impacts, you know, from a dispersion standpoint, a group size standpoint, the impact of your, of your uh, projectiles. So your extreme spread would be your group size, the distance between the farthest two bullets apart, same concept. Okay. So with the standard deviation, the definition of it in simple terms would be how spread out or close together are the are the velocities or the shots to the average now a simpler way to think of that is how good or bad is it expected to be expected is underlined there because it's a predictive tool we can use the recorded standard deviation to get an idea of what the future performance could be if it's valid so a lot of people have probably seen that image the kind of standard gaussian bell curve right yep yep very standard and so um if we apply some actual data to that, what the, what the bell curve tells us that standard distribution is from your average, if you go up one standard deviation and down one standard deviation, that should encompass 66.7 or 68% of your results will, will fall within those two limits. 
if you go up two standard deviations and down two standard deviations from the average, those limits should encompass about 95% of what's going to happen. And if you go up three and down three, it's going to be about 99.7%. So call it 100, right? Yeah, yeah. Pretty much everything will fall within that. Well, let's see how some real data stacks up to that. So this is a, a histogram or a, or a bell curve graph of 200 velocity recordings. So pretty good pretty good sample size. Pretty good data chunk there. If we look right here in the in the green line at 2695, that was the average of all 200 of those shots. The standard deviation in this case of all 200 shots was 10 feet per second. So if we take 2695 and we go up to 2705 and down to 2685, how many shots of those 200 fell within those two brackets? 68% of them did. So that follows that bell curve pretty nicely. The bell yeah. curve said that 68% of our shots would fall within there, and that's exactly what happened. Perfect. If we go up two and down two standard deviations with that sample, we're up 20 foot, down 20 foot from the average. 97% of the 200 shots recorded fell within that. So the bell curve said that it would be 95%. The actual data showed 97%. And up three, down three, we never even hit those limits. 100% of the data was within that. So the standard deviation does work pretty well yeah. if it's valid, right. which is what we'll get to here in a second. So those are the main two we'll talk about, extreme spreads, standard deviations. Miles, maybe talk about some of the other stuff that people might hear out there, but we're not really going to dive too deep into. Yeah. I mean, and we might hit on it. You maybe have more info on this later, but uh, standard deviation is one that gets thrown out a lot. Because, uh, I mean, most any chronograph is going to spit out standard deviation for you. And I just want to point out that Standard deviation as a predictive tool, the way it's meant to be used, only works if you have a histogram of data that represents a normal distribution. Mm -hmm. And so if you have four shots, your histogram probably doesn't look like a bell curve, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it takes a certain minimum threshold before that really starts to develop its shape. And I get, we'll get into that more later on, but just keep that in the back of your mind. So... If you're going out and your magneto speed spits out, oh, I have an SD of three on five shots. Or even 10 shots for that matter. Cool. That might not be a good, you might not be able to put a lot of weight into predicting that the rest of the population of all that load that you're going to shoot through that barrel is going to have that same low SD. Yeah. Yeah. The small sample sizes are, are going to get you when it comes to the predictability of SD. Absolutely. Right. So we've, we've, Based on that testing that Miles had talked about earlier, um, we've we've learned some things and some some trends to the to the sample size that I think at this point are worth worth mentioning. Because you just mentioned with the standard deviation concept that if you're going to do small sample sizes, that the predictive tool of standard deviation really isn't valid. Well, I think this would be a good point to get into what what are those valid sample sizes? Yeah, I think if you look as a good rule of thumb. Um, for basically any statistical analysis of stuff um, for sampling, the, the minimum sample size to get fairly accurate data is generally around 30 to 35. Mm -hmm. uh, you'll hear that as a rule of thumb across the board with, with a lot of different applications, whether you're polling college students on who they're going to vote for in next election or whether it's dispersion or muzzle velocity. Um, yeah, a lot of things follow that normal distribu distribution curve, and that's why they call it a normal distribution. Um, so, yeah, what 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 I found was 
basically exactly the same thing with all this these metrics uh, when I did my testing is you'll have um, one of the one of the things I looked at was what happens to uh, extreme spread and what happens to standard deviation and what happens to group size and mean radius and then plot it as a function of how many shots were in the group so I'll shoot 50 shots, and then at two shots, what's my standard deviation? At three, at four, at five, at six, at seven, all the way down to 50. And then plot those out, and you can do that in Excel or whatever. But what you'll see is when you repeat tests with the same ammunition, so if I shot 50 rounds of whatever, six arc, 108s, ELD match ammo, exact same ammunition, same lot, same barrel, clean between, you know, whatever, foul it up, get it in the same condition, uh, and I repeat that test five times. You'll see some of those tests will start with extremely good standard deviations, just random by chance. You know, you happen to get good stuff that's right close to the average and stays close. And then they'll progressively get worse to a point and to the final basically average what, it, what it's actually going to be. And then you'll get some that start horrible. You just happen to get the worst two shots right off in the first three shots of shooting. You know, it just happens. And so those will start off bad, but then as you keep putting shots into the test, they'll come back to that same average point. And you'll have some that just stay static all the way yeah. through, and you have some that, you know, in be anywhere in between there. But the main point of that is that before I record all that information and know where they all converged at, I have no idea whether I got a good one, whether I got a bad one, or I got a perfect average one all the way through. Uh, and, and so that point where everything kind of narrowed up and converges, basically where you want to call it good for you is subjective. Mm -hmm. Um, because yeah, maybe your window is this big, but I want a window that's this big. Well, I'm going to have to shoot more rounds than you will to determine what's good enough. Yeah, and we'll, we have some, a visual aid there that'll walk through the numbers that we've generated off all of that real data, not in not theoretical, you know, statistics. Yeah, this is legit. But this is, we did a ton of 100 shot groups with different variables, different cartridges, bullets, propellants, primers. And this is what the data says. You know, so it's it seems to work pretty well as we take that data and we go repeat a new test, that test falls within this data. So it, it's these rules are proving themselves to be accurate. Excellent. Um, and like you said that, the the listener's going to have to determine for themselves about um what what's the right way for them which we'll get into here in a second but maybe another note is that we're not the first to figure out this sample size you know correlation to the believability or predictability or stability of right. your net result the government's been doing this for a very long time the government doing say a lot acceptance test on ammunition fires a pretty large sample size to quantify if that ammunition meets their specification or not there's not much cost there to the government, though, compared to the guy that's going to the the Man, store and, yeah. and buying this stuff and spending his own time and assembling yeah. things or bu buying factory ammo, whatever it may be. He doesn't have a test facility. That, yeah. that well, cost is always there, and uh, I'm cognizant of that. I used to be in that world. Yes, I work for an ammo manufacturer now, so that's more accessible to me. Um, but I think it's important to, to don't think we're not considering the cost as we go through this. Um, so as we as we get into this next slide, this is going to be the culmination of all this data, what, okay. what we learned, okay? And this applies for if you're looking at load development, you know, does this load shoot better than another load? 
if you're just looking at how capable is my system. I have this rifle, I have this ammo, what are my capabilities? What what will it really do? Um, or same thing with, you know, checking checking things over time, right? The life of your barrel, right? Okay, I, I have this match gun set up and uh, it shot really, really good here in the beginning, but, you know, I'm getting towards the, the tail end of the expected barrel life. I'm, I want to see if it's still good or not. You know, that's where this data starts to come in. Okay. I'll say one more point real quick before we get into that slide. Uh, another thing that a lot of people might have to do is temper their expectations of what what's realistically possible um and and we like because we mentioned ego at the beginning and, you mm -hmm. know everybody wants a quarter minute all day long gun if and, you do your part right if you do your part <laughs> and uh yeah they might not they might not exist in that that way i mean it, it just it depends on which angle you look at this from mm -hmm. but yeah, yeah. It's Having, not as prevalent as people think. Yeah, exactly. To to have a true quarter minute gun, I haven't seen it yet. Mm -hmm. um, a half minute gun, kind of kind of hard to do. Like it takes some work to get there. Yeah. Three quarter minute, okay, yeah, that that's doable. Under a minute, yeah, you can do that. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people, if if you go home or go to the range next time and donate a a box or two of ammo to it, shoot a thirty shot group and see what your quarter minute all day long gun actually does. And I've had a couple people around the factory do that. Pinterest shooters and you know, whatever that, Oh yeah, no, I got it. I got my load. Everything's dialed in this thing, this hammers. And then, you know, you force them to sit down and put it to the test, like an actual test. And it, it doesn't pan out the way you think yeah. it might. And so that's a big, yeah, that's a big kick in the crotch for a lot of people. <laughs> it's hard to deal it's with. Part yeah, of the ego. It is. It's, yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> It's not what anybody wants to hear. You want to hear, no, I, I can make this, you know, to the top of the line, you know, what my expectations are, but you might have to readjust your expectations. Right. Um, with some of the limitations that we're going to go yeah. through and, yeah. and yeah. the patterns that, that happen actually. Because, yeah, your dispersion, you, you, a lot of people fall into the trap of like, oh, well, there's four together, one out. Well, we'll just ignore that guy. That's, mm -hmm. that's not part of it. You know, those four together, that's what the rifle is actually capable of. Well, no. Not always. Most of the time, probably what's happening is all five of those fall within the distribution pattern that your rifle and that ammo are going to produce. And mm -hmm. it's random. And the, yes, you have, you're, you're not as consistent as an accuracy fixture. I mean, we've done some testing there where I'll shoot the same gun in an accuracy fixture and then I'll shoot it from the shoulder and the groups open up, obviously, right? Because I have more error in what I'm doing than just bolting it to a pedestal. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there is still a level of dispersion that is inherent with the system, and sometimes that's just the system doing what it's doing randomly. Yeah, yeah. we should address there that before we get into this slide, the the concept of the flyer and whether to keep it or get rid of it. And all too often we get rid of it because of the ego. We don't want it to be that bad. And I've seen many many times where a flyer happens and the shooter says that was me, and I say what was you what happened right uh is usually what i get yeah. breathing did did, bigger... did the rear bag like actively fall off the buttstock actively fall off the side of the rear bag as you were squeezing the trigger no were the crosshairs wildly off target when you broke the shot no have you ever had that happen well yeah so you 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 know what it's like when it happens and you just said that wasn't what happened yeah so was it you or wasn't it you i think you have to be very honest with yourself 
in making those calls. If, if you truly want the answer to how capable is this system or load or whatever it may be, you have to be honest across the board. And you can't go getting rid of or omitting a flyer because it's outside of your expectations if it's real. Right. Yeah. And the same thing, and I'm sure we've all been there, where you do your confirmation bias funnel, come up with your load, and then you go test it sometime later. And you shoot a couple groups, five shot groups, and got some good ones. And then you get one that's like, oh man, you know, what? Point eight, you know, point eight minute at a hundred. Like I don't know, I must have goofed something up there. Mm-hmm. That you know, there's no way. You know, look at all these other ones. These are all good. I don't know what happened there. Something. Yeah, must have been goofy case or something. You know. Yeah, yeah. you just attribute something to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, getting a rifle system that's a legit half minute system or quarter minute system, extremely rare. Getting a rifle system that will shoot a quarter minute or a half minute group, really common. Mm-hmm. All of our match rifles will. Oh yeah, yeah. It's just the that you're just getting those numbers. Right. I don't, yeah. Nobody at home take it offense to me saying that you probably don't have a quarter minute gun. I'm sure it shoots quarter minute groups all day long and I'm not going to refute that your rifle shoots really well and that's fine. And even if you do have a quarter minute gun and you can prove it and it, it is consistently, that's great. I've not seen it yet, but that's great. You got it. But I'm not here to refute that. Yeah. Yeah. You have a very well built gun quality components. They're going to shoot very well, but yeah, the, there's a, a loss of data when you shoot multiple small groups, and they're all very small, but between each of those groups, you don't correlate the point of aim and the mean point of impact between those. You you have a tendency, and we'll see it here, you have a tendency for the data to look better than it mm-hmm. actually is. Yeah, 10 mm-hmm. 10-shot groups is not the same as a 100-shot group. That's right. correct. All right, yeah. all right, well, let's get into so this slide here. Let's, let's do this. Okay, so... Again, we'll try to explain this in a way that the listener is, is getting some value out of it. Um, if you could watch this, though, it will help. Uh, so what we have is on the left side, we're going to be looking at expected group size extreme spread, like the amount of what's the max and min you could expect. So Of a group size measured in inches. Yes. Okay. Yep. Uh, or we could think of this a minute of angle, e- either one of them. This, this is all based on a 100-yard set, so uh, you could think of it either way. And on the right side, what we're going to look at is what is the expected group size increase as we go up in sample size. So what we're going to do here is we're going to look at three shotters, five shotters, tens, twenties, thirties, and fifties. And we're going to see what the effects of that are. So if we start out with... with Yeah, just what we're looking at when we say 60 to 70% there, that's the variability as we repeat a bunch of three shot groups. Yeah, the extreme spread in recorded, you know, variation to shot or group to group. Group to group, yep. So shooting three shot groups, because that's common, right? Yeah, I mean, especially I for hunting oh, setups. Yeah. That, I mean, I still do that. And I'll make a point uh, here in a little bit um, on, on how to handle that. What if your rifle is only capable of, or, or intended to have three shots at a time? It's, it's got not a, a bull barrel match barrel. rifle that's yeah. going to rip off 10 or 20 at a match, you know? Uh, we'll, we'll address that. So, so stick with us. Um, so what we're saying, the three shot group is going to vary by 60 to 70% from the average. So what that would mean... If we had a rifle and we shot a whole bunch of three-shot groups, let's say we shot 10 of them, making that statistically valid sample size of 30, we shoot 10 three-shot groups and we average all of them, and the average comes in at a half inch or a half minute. Within those 10 groups, you could have groups that are 60 to 70% smaller and 60 to 70% bigger. So on that half minute gun, that means you're going to have groups that are 0.15 inches. You getting flirting with an eighth of a minute. Yeah, one itty bit. That's the, that's the bench rest one holders, right? Yeah. Or it could be as big as 0.85. So you're creeping up on an inch. 
That's with three shotters. Now let's look at a rifle system that shoots a little bit differently. What if your rifle averages an inch for three shot groups at a hundred? There's a plethora of hunting rifles out there that do exactly that. Mm-hmm. That means being that our average is bigger, we just went from a half inch to an inch. The variability is the same, the 60 to 70%, but the starting point, the baseline is larger number. So the variation will be larger. And you see there that the minimum expected group size there that you would see out of those 10 that you shot would be a 0.3 inch group. Your hunting rifle shot a quarter minute group. At the same time, it shoots a 1.7 inch group. Over same rifle. Same exact thing. Just we shot 10 three shot groups. And of those, they averaged an inch. We had one little bitty guy and we had one really big guy. That's that 60 to 70% expected variance on three shot groups. Now, for a lot of people, us definitely, you know, when we were, when we were going through all this data processing after doing all this testing, um, I'm, that's not acceptable to me. That's too much. That doesn't tell me what I want to know. I want to know how good is this load or system or whatever. Right. That's, that doesn't really tell me much. It could be anywhere from a quarter minute to almost two minutes. That's too big of a spectrum. I can't, can't nail that down into a capability. So we're going to go from a three-shot group to a five-shot group. We were just told if we increase our sample size, we're going to get better data. So let's, let's go to so the next how much standard. Well, on average, when you go from a three-shot group to a five-shot group, everything's going to increase by 15%. So what that means is if we go back to, there's our variability we'll talk to you here in a second. If we go back to, um, my pointer's gone here. Let me get it pulled back up. There we go. Okay. We'd had our half minute rifle with three shot groups. That exact same rifle that averaged a half minute three shot group is now going to average 0.6 if we do five shot groups. So if we did six five shot groups, getting that sample size of 30 or even more of them, what we'll see is our average got bigger because our sample size got bigger, but the variability shrunk. With a five shot group, our results are going to vary by 40 to 50% on the extremes. So we're going to shoot 0.3 inch groups and 0.9 inch groups. We're still down there in that quarter minute range. So it's, you can see how you can still get that result and think mm-hmm. it's that good. But if you Even just kept doing it, it could be as bad as an inch. Let's look at that gun that shot worse, that one incher for the three shots. That thing increased 15%. So now our average group's going to be a little bit over an inch. Our smallest group is down at a half inch. Our biggest group is creeping a whole lot closer up to... Uh, we're, towards we're, two minutes. We're working towards it. Yep. So as we go to the next one, we're not satisfied with five shotters. There's too much variation there. When you go from a five shot group to a 10 shot group, it's going to increase by about 30%. So that takes this group here that's at 0.6 and makes it come up to 0.75. Now your variance shrunk again, because as we increase sample size, our groups are going to get bigger just by nature, but the variance group to group to group shrinks down. Mm -hmm. So now we're seeing a spread where our smallest group is going to be half inch. Our largest group is going to be one inch. Our average is three quarter. That's not horrible. And some people might stop there. And the 10 shot group is commonly used, especially in the precision rifle world. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we will do that. If we look at the other system, it's, it's starting to grow, right? Now we're averaging an inch and a half on the low end. We're just under an inch. The high end, we're over two inches. We're not satisfied with 10s. We want, we want more stable data than that. We go to 20s. When you go from a 10-shot group to a 20-shot group, your group sizes are going to increase by 20%. The variability gets driven down 
from 30 to 40% with a 10-shotter down to 20 to 25%. So what does that look like? That means we went from shooting three-quarter inch 10-shot groups on average to we're shooting almost one inch 20-shot groups on average. The smallest 20-shotter we're going to shoot is 0.7. The biggest is 1.1. That's, that's tightening up. That's starting to tell you a story of capability, right? If we go to that rifle that shoots worse, it's now averaging 1.8 inches for a 20-shotter. The small end of it's 1.3. The big end's 2.2. It's just taking that extreme limit of what you could get and shrinking it down. If you're not satisfied with that and you want to go from a 20-shotter to a 30-shotter, your group size is going to increase by about 10%, and your variability gets driven down to 15 to 20% spread range. So that means on 30-shotters, we're averaging an inch. On the small side, it'll be 0.8 inches. On the big side, it's 1.2. This gun that shot worse, now we're averaging 2 inches. Small side's 1.5, big side's almost 2.5. So you can see how, as we increase sample size, our groups just get bigger. So that's going to happen to you. And this is that part we talked about with the ego. Mm -hmm. If you want statistically more valid data, you're in this battle between statistical validity of what your capabilities are and your ego. Cool guy factor. The cool guy factor. Okay. Or, or even, you know, <laughs> I just spent, you know, I've been saving up for this thing and I just spent $8,000 on this, like, no better than rifle, right? There's nothing else better out there than this thing. I put the best glass on it I could. I bought the best powder, the best bullets, or the highest quality match ammo I could. And I lay down, and I shoot a 20-shot group, and it's over an inch. It's supposed to be a quarter minute, right? Like, yeah. I spent all this money, and that's what I got. So that, that's that push and pull that's, that's happening. If you want to go from a 30 to a 50, your group size is going to increase by about 7%. The variability, though, goes down to 10 so almost no change from 50-shotter to 50-shotter. It's a touch over an inch, 1.06 inches for the average. The minimum group we would get on 50-shotters is 0.95, and the max is 1.16. So less so, than an eighth of a minute of variation. Yeah, so if I was going to make a blanket true statement about what my system was capable of, I need to be in this 30-shotter more. Because I could make, you asked me a question, how good does that rifle shoot? And I say it's a one-minute rifle. That statement would be true for these sorts of sample sizes because it's one minute every time, right? Mm -hmm. Same thing with this other side here. It's a two minute rifle. It's two minute. It's pretty much a two minute rifle every single time I do the test. The, so hopefully what the listener takes away from this is when somebody asks you that question, how, how good does this thing shoot? And they say half minute or quarter minute or three quarter minute. Your next question is for how many shots, how often? Because mm -hmm. those are the key questions we can see from, from this information, right? Yeah. Now, this slide and this information are up to you to determine what's the right answer. We're not going to stand here and, and tell you that. I mean, I think what you and I do, like for match rifle stuff, is we shoot no less than, no less than 20s. Sometimes we'll do a 30 if, if we're really trying to hash out maybe if something's better than something else. Right. But yeah, 20 that's, minimum. That's a good point. So, and this is what I like to point out to people too, is you look at the five shot group there, you have 40 to 50% variability repeating exactly the same test. So I took exactly the same ammunition, same load, whatever you got. And I repeat that same five shot group over and over and over again. And I can expect 40 to 50% variability in the results of that. That's without making a change. 
Now, if I go in there and I bump up powder charge three-tenths of a grain each time I do that, I'm adding variation to a system that's already noisy. Mm-hmm. And then I'm interpreting the results of that and trying to glean information out of it. Which one's better than this? You know, is load A better than B better than C? And it gets really muddy really quick. Mm-hmm. And that's the the problem that you run into with that. Um, yeah, so... W- looking at it from from that perspective how how you approach load development you can you can save yourself a lot of time just having the the way i approach it now i guess is i have a what i call a realistic expectation of what i want to achieve mm-hmm. so if i'm shooting prs match series right i want a gun that's ballpark 3 quarter minute for 20 or 30 shots uh and if I achieve that, I stop. I, I don't keep fiddling around because of the cost, because of the time involved, because of everything involved to, to, you know, to test that out. If I get a 20-shot group that's 1.5 inches at 200 yards, I'm plenty fine with that. Take it and run. Um, because the other thing, I guess, I could get into kind of the, the trends of the results that I found repeating large, like ladder and OCW tests over large sample sizes. Sure. Um, things that people will commonly do. They'll step powder charges up 0.1, 0.3, 0.5 grains at a time. You're not going to see dramatic changes at that small of an interval. Um, and it, this is cartridge dependent. So 223 is not the same as 300 wind mag. They're proportionally very different. But generally, I step around it a grain at a time. If I If I think that there's anything to be gained by going up or down powder charge it's a grain at a time at least if not a grain and a half um you need to you need to make big changes to see big changes in performance uh and so and then just keep in the back of your mind you got that much variability test to test so you got to see pretty big changes so if you have one 20 shot group or one 10 shot group let's say 10 so you have a 10 shot group that's 0.4 moa and then you have another 10 shot group that's 1.2 moa okay you got a pretty good chance that that 0.4 moa load is definitely better than that 1.2 MOA. If you have a 10-shot group, then one is a 0.5 and one's a 0.72, maybe, maybe not. The next time you repeat that, it could flip-flop and do exactly the opposite. They could be almost identical to each Mm -hmm. other. And so that's that confirmation bias funnel that I was talking about earlier. All those loads, if you go back and test all of them for a significant sample size, you'll find that a lot of them are not as different as you think. Mm -hmm. Um, the, The biggest changes that I see is basically component swapping so i'm shooting 108 grain eldm well i swap that for a 110 grain a tip or i swap it for 105 grain Botel hollow point i will see and keep everything else the same same powder same case everything else right well i mean adjust the powder charge is necessary to make it safe but um i will see dispersion changes swapping bullets Mm mm-hmm pretty pretty significant from one to the next and and barrels have attitude they like certain bullets better than others and the same thing with powder if i swap between h4350 and h4831 and reloader 26 and reloader 22 you'll see pretty distinct changes in how the barrel responds to the same bullet with different powders you'll see like pretty drastic i mean there's some of my data sets are same bullet same case same primer similar velocity range and you'll see with just changing the powder out at a similar velocity and pressure range under a half minute up to three minutes. Mm-hmm. 
and you think, well, these are junk bullets. Well, no, just the response of your barrel with that powder type, whatever it was, can change your dispersion level that much. Yeah. So the the main thing to that I approach now is is component swapping. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll do ten shot samplers, and and if you, it's big enough that you can see it with those, then you can throw out the bad ones. And then if they're good enough to, that you think they have promise, then I'll do twenty shotters. Maybe if I'm curious. Yeah. This might be a good time to to address like the hunting rifle. Like how how do yeah. you how do you go about that? Like we're saying that we try to get to a sample size of 20 because that's, you know, if you look at those numbers, that's the kind of the trade-off point. With a 20 shot sample, your variation is 20 to 25%. So that's not nothing, but it's definitely a lot less than 60 to 70 or 40 to 50. Right. Right. Um, so that's where that, you know, once you, once you go past 20 and you get to 30, you're at 15 to 20. That's not a huge difference from 20 to 25. So that's where we've kind of nailed this number of 20 down. Well, how am I going to do that with my hunting rifle that's a pencil barrel or a carbon barrel or whatever it is? And I'm never going to shoot 20 shots in a hunting situation. If I have to do that, it's like, you know, the yeah. zombies is what's yeah, being hunted or something, right? right? Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you do that? Well, what, what I typically recommend to people is test the rifle, how it's going to be used. Because, and same thing with the match rifles, right? The match rifles, we lay down and shoot 10 shots at a stage. That is very common in, in the precision rifle sports. Um, okay, so when you're assessing how good something is, lay down and shoot 10 shots and then let the barrel cool off for the approximate amount of time that you would have at a competition and then shoot 10 more and you've got your 20. Well, with a hunting rifle, I'm probably going to shoot, what I draw my line in the sand at is three shots. I'm going to have a cold bore shot. The barrel's going to be fouled, but it will be a cold bore on the first one. If that animal doesn't go down immediately, I'm going to put another bullet in it. And maybe if I really screwed something up, I need a third shot. If I need more than three shots, I shouldn't be out there. Um, so three shots is where I determine my number. You should determine your own based on your needs. Mm-hmm. So if I'm only going to do a three-shot test, how do I get to the sample size of 20? I repeat that test seven times. And then I take the conglomeration. I take each of those impacts and put them all into one that's 21, you know, 21 shots. Yeah, same point of impact or same point of aim. Right. And a, good, a good one for that is dot drills. Regardless of what you're doing, mm-hmm. the targets that are a bunch of individual dots, and you aim at each one the same every time, don't make adjustments between, and then you can measure X and Y impacts, and then record all those, and then put them all into one Excel sheet. That's a good way to, and then you can get a ton of information. Yep. You can go Excel crazy with it if you want. And and those that aren't you know savvy with computers or Excel, um, I tap my foot on the ground and say, uh, the electronic ability to get those measurements from, say, a cell phone or something is increasing, right? There's apps like Ballistic X or, mm-hmm. or ones out there. Um, uh, we should have something coming soon for that. So, yeah, yeah. Keep uh, your eyes out. Yeah. Uh, so that getting that data is getting easier. You don't necessarily have to go get your target with a pair of calipers and measure every single bullet hole and do all that time and math and stuff. It's worth it if that's the only method you have, um, but, but it's getting easier to gather that, that amount of data. All right. So looking at those numbers and the percentages, I see, you know, you got a graph. So let's, let's see these on a graph scale because I think that'll help quantify it for a lot of folks. And you can really see how it just progressively tightens and tightens and tightens and Mm -hmm. tightens. And you can see how it, it climbs in size, but increases in accuracy. Yeah. What we have here is a, is a graph of a 100 shot group. And then of those 100 shots, we break them down into 33 three-shot groups. 
25 shot groups, 10 10 shot groups, five 20 shot groups. Right? We break that. This one, is real data. This that is was real recorded. Data. This yeah. is not Monte Carlo. Yeah, prediction. Right. This was a hundred shots that Miles or you shot in the test tunnel. That's right. So down on the bottom, we have the the sample size, right? How many shots are in the group? And on the left side, we have the group size in minute of angle. So yellow is going to be our three shot groups, and you can see the smallest three shotter that was recorded was down around 0.2 inches. The largest three shotter was a touch over that, maybe like 1.1 inch. The average is 0.5. So this would be an average half minute three shot rifle if I was being accurate in my description of its capability. Mm -hmm. When I say three shot, having seen the data you just did, you should automatically know, okay, well, if he's averaging a three shot at half minute, he could be down at a quarter and up above one. That kind of gives you the span of expectation. As we go to five shotters, these blue ones, you see how the, the smallest group is not quite as small. It's up a little bit. Mm -hmm. The largest group is quite a bit bigger. Our largest five-shot group was 1.4 inches. Got one unlucky one that got the worst two in there. Yeah, he did, yep. Uh, when you go to tens, you see that the best 10-shot group is over 0.4. It's almost a half, almost a half. And the worst is 1.4. And this red line you see in the center here, that's your average, your average expected group as you go. And obviously it's going up, right? You're going from half minute, 0 0.6, 0 0.75 by the time you get to 10 shotters. When you get to a 20 shotter, you're up at a minute. Your average group size is going to be a minute. Your smallest is 0.6. Your biggest is 1.4. As you get to a 30 shotter, your average 30 shot group is going to be just under a minute and a quarter. The biggest is 1.4. The smallest is 1.0. So that's just a visual of that narrowing that you see of the variability, but the the increasing of the net size of it as you go. And the 100-shot group was 1.4 inches. Now, this would be an example of a rifle that shoots worse. So that would be a question, right? Okay, well, that's that's the, the system that shoots rifle. good. What about yeah. a system that doesn't shoot good? And what you see just at first glance is it has the exact same characteristics. It's just that these values here have shifted. So instead of us having a half minute three shot average, we have over one and a half minute. Smallest group is about half minute. Biggest group is two and a half minutes. And that thing just creeps up in the same manner. By the time you get to 10 shotters, you're averaging two and a half minutes. 20 shotters are averaging two and three quarter minutes. 30 shotters are averaging three minutes. And the 100 shot total is a touch over three minutes. Yeah, and you can see on both instances that 30 shot sample the two samples collected after that are almost the same. Yeah, it's, it's, no, it flattens, right? Yeah, they normalize at 30. The, yeah. s the slope of that dotted red line just goes out to almost horizontal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's just a, a visual of what we went over earlier. Okay, so there's some, some unassociated effects of sample size that we haven't talked about yet. We talked about, you know, velocity and... And velocity is kind of a byproduct. In, in most cases, we're looking for group size effects, right? Dispersion. We're trying to make it shoot better for group. Right. The, the benefit of velocity usually comes at a byproduct. Generally, you're going to get group good, good group sizes with good components, and those good components are going to come with good velocity you know, spreads or standard deviations. So rarely do you go out in search of reduced velocity uh, without a consideration of group size. In the ELR game, you certainly do because muzzle velocity is a huge contributor to your vertical bullet impact, you know, beyond one second time of flights. But in general, I'd say group size is the most common. But there's some 
there's some other areas that sample size plays in that a lot of people don't think about and fall prey to the small sample size kind of cost benefit thing. One of those is is zeroing. And Miles, I know, you know, with this information, if you want to talk about this, you did a ton of this testing. Yeah. Um, so I think this graph has just uh, a, the connecting lines between it don't really mean anything, but it's it's basically the mean point of impact of a collection of three, five, 10, and 20 shot groups. Um, so the purple blue lines or dots that you see there, that's the mean point of impact. That's the average of the three shot group where, where so we aim at, at basically it's dead center in that graph and the average impact point, if we were to, you know, take our three group, our three shot group, find the center of it, that's where that blue dot would be. Um, and, and so that's a, just a repetition of a bunch of three shot groups. And it just shows the, the variability. Basically you can go point, what are we at? And inches here at a hundred yeah, yards. Yeah. Plus yeah. Or minus yeah you can go 0.4 inches basically in 360 degrees in 360 degrees from what the actual 100 shot mean point of impact actually is. Um, so you can, you can basically, and we have some other statistics. I don't know if they made it in this slide or not, but you can just about expect a three shot zero 60 to 70% of the time to be a click, whether that's a quarter minute or a 10th of a mil, you can almost expect it to be the better, better half of, a click off of where you actually, you can expect it to be at least that far off. Yeah. Wow. So if you're using of the time. three shot group to zero your rifle, you're doing yourself a pretty bad disservice because you could be 0.4 inches off in any direction. And that's, so, and to clarify, that's with this rifle and this ammunition, it's right. going to, yeah. it's going to vary. Um, it's going to vary depending on the capability of the rifle. If your rifle's a two and a half minute rifle, it could be much worse, worse than that. Sure. If you've got a, a F-class hammer that you've proven all the way out and you know you got the best thing going, it could be significantly less than that. But yeah, this I think the, the rifles that I've done are pretty solidly like one minute of angle ballpark for 50 to 100 shots um, with match ammunition. So it's like factory match ammunition shooting pretty okay. And yeah, you even with such a thing, you can still expect to wow. be as much as a click or almost two clicks off with a three shot zero. And that gets a little bit better with a five and it really kind of settles in at about a 10 and then the 20 shotters, you really don't even have to worry about it. Yeah. Um, if you zero off of a 20 shot group, you've got pretty solid zero yeah. data. Uh, tens are pretty solid as well. They, occasionally you'll get one that kind of goes a little wild. Um, it's not especially common though. Uh, and then I guess we'll get into the, the long range effects of that and yeah. the implications. Yeah. yeah. We see this at almost every match we go to, especially if they have that, uh, that one stage that has the playing card that's a spade oh, yeah. and you got to shoot as close to the, the, you know, the crosshair as you can. I'm sure some listeners will have done that. And I don't know how many times I've seen guys lay down to do that and they touch that round off and they are unglued about how far from where they aimed that bullet impacted, like yeah. how much zero pulling their hair out. Oh man. Digging into their Kestrel. Like they, yeah. yeah. Showing up to the next RO. Like, can I re zero real quick before I shoot this? You know, <laughs> yeah. It's a horrible situation. <laughs> yeah. Um, reality was there's just, there's, there's a, there's a zero impact wandering. Mm -hmm. it, it wanders. Yeah. Your sample size is small. It's, it's variable. Just like that stuff we went through. But it's not just your group size. It's not just the velocities produced. It's also the stability of your mean point of impact, which right. is your zero. That's what that is. Mm -hmm. And and where that location is from your point of aim. That that same sinusoidal white noise that we were getting with velocity, 
is just applied in a radial manner mm-hmm. for your zero. Yeah. Hmm. So, yeah, that certainly does have implications though. Yeah. So one question people might have is, okay, well, what about that circumstance with the hunting rifle where you only, you're only doing three shots at a time? Well, I, I do the same thing, those three shots at a time, but then I go in, like I said, and I put all 21 shots into one. I based my zero off of the mean point of impact of all of those 21 shots, right. not just yeah. one of those three, yep. three shots. If you're going to combine multiple small sample sets, correlate point of aim on all of those sets. Mm-hmm. So, this, so that if I'm aiming here on this target and here on this target and here on this target, here on this target, my groups are here, 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 we'll correlate all those points of aim and get one big ball of impacts. Yeah. Yeah. If, you, if you just take mean radius or group size alone that's that trend that we saw in the previous graph where it looks better than than the large sample sad data sets basically because yeah. you can cheat it because you're not correlating point of aim and it just has a natural tendency to to look right. better than it is yeah so that so the cost of small sample sizes creeps into your to your zero as well um it also affects drag so the you know the podcast that we've been doing here the past you know couple weeks and months We've really talked a lot about bullet drag and how ballistic solvers, depending on the type you use, can spit out a number that's not exactly representative of what your bullet is producing as you fire it. Right. And so there's different methods to go in account and account for that, whether it's truing BC, we went through all the, you know, ball of wax that or ball of snakes that comes with that method. <laughs> um, but also on the Fordoff method with the axial form factor. So what you're doing in using those systems is trying to make an assessment or a statement that your drag is different from the drag the program is using by X amount. Well, this sample size thing plays into that as well, because the method you're using to determine that is a point of impact downrange. You're shooting a target beyond, you know, half a second time of flight at at 400 yards or beyond, and you're making a claim that I'm hitting high or low based on shooting a target. Well, you need to do a large enough sample size that that's valid. Fortunately, with the Fordoff method, you're allowed to do that at distances that are short enough that you can kind of truncate that that large sample size necessity a little bit. The necessity of the sample size when when assessing drag differences grows as a function of range or time of flight. So if your program forces you to do drag corrections or calibrations or or truing or whatever the, the name is, if it forces you to do that at really long distances, that means you need to increase your sample size to have valid results. Yeah, otherwise you're... Because the farther you go time distance-wise from the muzzle, the more variables are playing into why a bullet goes where it goes. So the more variables that play into a system, the larger your sample size needs to be mm-hmm. to, to quantify yeah. that system. Yeah. Isolate right? one from the other. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So when and you... I guess to, to kind of to play into that, Earlier we could see it, but um, the bigger the I guess the worse a, a dispersion pattern is, the more sample size data you need to nail it down to the same resolution. That's right. Um, so and and the, so you'll see it with the if you go back and look at those slides. For we had that two minute or two point four minute of gun, and we had the one minute of angle gun. Um, the variability between those, even a you know percentage wise, is similar, but actual value wise is larger with the with the worst dispersion and that dispersion grows as you shoot down range and so then yeah more sample size is really kind of necessary to really peg down okay yeah is this actually am i actually hitting 0.2 mils low or is that just the lucky five that went 
averaged low and then i got you know four down here one here that same old four and one one out you know mm -hmm. well that must have been a flyer and i'm actually hitting level no you might be dead on target and if you keep shooting that cloud will grow right around the center that's right okay so we talked about the effects on zero it's kind of an unassociated thing or something that people don't think about there's a there's a overall cost to playing the small sample size game and we're going to walk through kind of an example of that especially the long range or precision shooters that are listening mm -hmm. i think this will resonate with sure um but the cost of small sample sizes so we take our rifle and our load we lay down we shoot five shot zero okay and at the Pretty same common. at the same time we record a muzzle velocity so what we have here is just a representation of a point of aim you know the red reticle we have five shots that show up that little red and uh, green X represents the mean point of impact. So the difference between the mean point of impact and the point of aim would be the error in zero. In this case, we can see that's very small, right? The yeah. mean point of impact is almost on top of the point of aim. We would consider that rifle to be zeroed and onward we'd go to shoot our match or whatever we were doing. When we shot those five shots, we got a muzzle velocity. Well, this is, you know, the different five shot uh, muzzle velocity average results from a whole bunch of different tests well when you only do one five shot recording you're just randomly picking one of these you don't know which one you get kind of like miles was saying so we have a zero that we think is here we put in a muzzle velocity of 2890 because that's the one we got when we shot five shots and off we go so when we did our zeroing and our velocity measurement we fired five rounds right every time you pull the trigger there's a cost associated with it there's a cost of components the projectile, the powder, the primer. There's a cost to barrel life. Every time you pull the trigger, you're subtracting one from whatever that barrel life is. There's also the cost of your time. Yeah. Are you a reloader or hand loader? How much time did you spend developing the load? Yeah. Do you have a wife and kids at home? <laughs> yeah. How much time did you spend loading the ammunition itself? Did you purchase it from a store? All of this has a cost to, a cost to it, right? So right now we're at five shots in and all we've gotten done is we've zeroed it and we got our velocities, but we did both of those at the same time, so we're saving money. So then we're gonna we're gonna run this system out and just confirm. You know, we got a match coming up or a hunt coming up, so we're just gonna confirm our stuff. So we go out to 400 yards, we shoot three shots, and it's close enough. We're shooting a steel plate. We're pretty much hitting the center of it. We're happy with where it's at. We're eight rounds fired now. So then we go out to 600. At 600, we're impacting a little bit low on some of them but not enough to to stop what we're doing and start over it's like yeah eh, you know enough for me to keep going well at 600 yards let's say you shot five shots there because it was a little bit low you shot a couple more shots to make sure it wasn't doing anything crazy you're up to 13 shots fired now then you go out to 800 at 800 you're still impacting a little bit low it's a little bit more than it was at 600 but not necessarily enough to stop yet and because it was a little bit more you shot a couple more so you shot rounds 14 through 20 you shot six shots at 800. You're up to 20 rounds fired. You go out to 1,000. By the time you get to 1,000, you're, you're averaging at least a tenth to maybe two tenths of a mil low. So let's say half minute-ish, right, at that, at that distance. You shoot five of those, and you're starting to get concerned. Some, there's a trend occurring, right? A little low at six, a little more at eight, even more low at 1,000 now. You're up to 25 rounds fired. You decide, you know what? That 1,200-yard target's just that one right over there. I'm just going to shoot a couple there and maybe it'll clean itself back up. I'm just yeah. going to try it. So you go out to 1200. Now you're undeniably like almost a half mil low, two tenths to a half mil low. But at 1200, 
your group size is bigger. There's more variation in the system. So you shoot more shots out there to see, well, am I low or am I not? So at 1200, you shoot rounds 26 through 32. Now you're at a decision-making point after 32 rounds fired. Some guys will say, oh, it's my bullet drag that's the problem. They adjust their BC or they do something. Mm-hmm. You know, with, with having no reason necessarily to do it, they've been seeing that low trend occur, but they just automatically associate that that is the problem with no other proof that, that something else isn't at play. So they adjust the drag. And as they're adjusting the drag, they fire rounds 33 through 39 at 1,200 yards. And they say, you know what? I'm good there. This thing's hitting the center. I like what's going on at 1,200. I'm just going to work my way back in, finish up, and I'm out of here. They come back to 800. Now they're impacting 0.2 to 0.3 mils high. We were low at 800 last time. Mm-hmm. What, what in the world is going on? Now at, at 800, you fired rounds 40 through 44 there, working your way back in. So something's strange. Now you're off in the other direction. You decide to come back into six because you were off a little bit, but you were, you were pretty much on at six before. At 600, you're 0.1 to 0.2 mils high. What's going on? I, on my way out, I was low. I did my truing like I was told by the program. At 1,200, I worked my way back in and now I'm high. At 49 rounds expended. And at that point, you cut it off. And you say, something's up. Like, I'm just going to start this whole thing over you go back and you recheck your zero. That would be one guy, right? And I'm sure some of the listeners have either done that themselves yeah. or they've they've observed it. Not, I've observed no. this exact same thing. Not me. Yeah, no, not no. Miles. <laughs> <laughs> How much does 49 rounds cost? At least $49. At least. And a lot more, a lot than, more that. than that. You know, especially if you're a reloader or a handloader, your time is of is the most valuable thing you have. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't get that back. So how much is that worth? I don't know, a lot. Now let's say the other guy, right? We had a point of divergence here when we hit the problems that showed up at 1,200 yards. The other guy says, you know what? Something's weird. I've been continually hitting low on my way out here. I'm going to go back and check my zero. He goes back and he checks his zero and realizes that his zero is low. He's at 39 rounds fired. So both of those circumstances are, are ugly, right? Because what did we do? We wasted that time. We wasted that barrel life. We wasted that effort in either loading the ammunition or driving to the range or going to the store and buying it. All that's a moot point now because we're going back and starting over at the zero again anyway. And when we, when we recheck that zero, or if we would have shot a 20 shot zero, this is that same, same exact ammunition. It's just, we shot 15 more of them. You see that shot there? Mm -hmm. That's that shot there. This is the same exact stuff. We just shot another 15 to get to that sample size of 20. And what did that show us? It showed us that we were low by about, uh, I think that's 0.4 inches. No wonder you were low. A little bit at four, but you couldn't quite perceive it. More so at six, but not enough to stop. More so at eight. More so at a thousand. More so at 12 to the point where you finally quit. The whole problem was right in front of your eyes the whole time. It's just that you didn't shoot a large enough sample size for things to stabilize enough and have a true average. So there is a cost to this small sample size because yeah. what we what we often hear in this in putting this information out is, well, twenty shots. That's you know, let's go buy a box from the shelf of a, you know, six five Creedmoor ammo. What is that? Fifty bucks. Thirty now. forty fifty dollars. Yeah. Right. You want me to lay down with my eight thousand dollar rifle and burn forty or fifty dollars at a hundred yards? That's well, up to you. Because if you don't, you might burn a hundred dollars only to come back and then have to burn another 50 just to get started again. Sure. So there is a cost to it. 
Absolutely. Yep. And yeah, in that example right there, I think we've all seen it. And in, in all the years we've been doing this, we've all been part of it ourselves. Oh yeah. 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 Oh yeah. I know it's zeroed. So I'm, I'm going to keep playing around here with axial form factor, or playing with my BC or whatever. Muzzle velocity. Because I know yeah, that whatever. I was zeroed. I know I was zeroed. I just shot five shots. Yep. And yeah, the reality is it's just not enough. And yeah, the line in the sand is, yeah, 20, 30 shots is a realistic number. I think that us as shooters can get behind. Mm-hmm. Um, again, your mileage may vary. You can do whatever you want to. But yeah, it seems 10 kind of gives you a good look. 20 gives you a better look. 30 will pretty much tell you. And, you know, anything after that's a bonus. Yeah. And, you know, this example uh, is possible. It's not going to happen that way every time. You might luck out and that five shot group you shot is representative of your large sample size mean point of impact and you're off to the races and you never experience a problem. Mm -hmm. That's definitely possible. But what we're saying is these errors are also possible. If you want to make those not possible, that's where you have to go to the 20s and 30s. I've uh, definitely burned more than 49 rounds in a day chasing my tail. I have too. Yeah. And it's, it's so frustrating in hindsight. Because you know this is the right way to do it. I mean, the, the data supports it. But the whole time you're trying to cheat the system. Ah, I can get away with not doing as many. Yeah, It'll I'll be do just as good. I'll well, do seven shots. No aspect in life works that way, yeah. right? You can never get away with cheating the system. Right. Uh, um, there is one other thing I wanted to say, which is kind of the placebo effect of the small sample size stuff. You know, Miles, you talked about how when you shoot those small sample sizes, by default of the sample size, you're going to get better results. There's something to be said for a guy that say he's doing load development or he gets a new barrel on his rifle or whatever it is, new rifle. And he goes out and he shoots a couple little three shot groups and they're just hammered. They're, you know, just all one hole. Statistically invalid as can be, but the confidence that that gives that guy and he shows up to a match with that level of confidence versus the guy that maybe shoots a 10 more statistically valid but it's like a, you know, three quarter inch or an inch or an inch and a quarter. And he comes to the match and these guys are talking and knowing no different. The guy that shot the three shotters is like, dude, I got this new barrel. It's shooting a quarter inch. And this guy's like, like minute, minute and a quarter, <laughs> right? There's this mental game that's going on. There's something to be said about the, what I would believe to be a placebo effect of the small sample sizes. Yep. They're not valid at all. It's like getting sugar cubes as far as, is it telling you anything? Is it giving you anything, this medicine of a three-shot group? No. But if you think it is, there can be a performance difference from sure. that. Sure. Right? Well, and you've, I've heard it out of the mouth of one of the, our best uh, sponsored shooters that competes in the PRS type of stuff. He, he, he doesn't want to hear about this. He just wants yeah. to assume that his gun shoots, every bullet goes exactly where the crosshairs are pointed every single time and move on with his life and not, and he doesn't want to know. He doesn't want to see behind the curtain yeah. because of the confidence that he has knowing that he's got the best of all components, the best bullets and, and it, he's shooting laser beams. Yeah. Yep. But he's, he's out there that. winning yeah. national level matches. He is. Right. So that right. proof's in the pudding. Yeah. And it can go the other way too. Even if you know, oh, okay, well this is the cloud of dispersion pattern that I've got and it's this big and around misses the target inside that cloud what you perceive, you know, perceive to be that cloud. Well, was that the wind or was that just dispersion? And it can, yeah, lead to a little mind game you have with yourself and you, you know, yeah, it, it can go either way. Wheels can fall off. Right. Where you, yeah, you don't make a change because you, oh, that's just the dispersion. Well, actually the next one falls in exactly the same spot and it was wind, you know, and then you're, oh. Yeah. There's nothing worse than 
missing a couple tenths off the left side of the target, making that correction, and then hitting right where your crosshairs are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, and it's, that's exactly the opposite. And so, yeah. We've all the, done that. Yeah. yeah. I guess the wind still still kicks you around. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> sure. I love coming off stage. Where'd you hit on that last one? Right where I was aiming. Yep. Which was off the target. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I hope uh, I hope this information um, is received well. Again, we're not trying to poo-poo anything. It's just, hey, we did a whole bunch of testing. And, and I used to use those old load development methods. And I put the weight into thinking, yeah, this is the right answer. This was the best one. And, and off I go. And it, it crushed my soul a little bit when we did all this testing and realized that like, oh. No, nope. just yeah. kidding. Everything oh, I've dang. done for the last 10 years was a waste of time. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, I think one of the big ones for me is, is uh, velocity. Like, you know, the dispersion in the 100 yard shooting and all that kind of stuff is important. The velocity for me, uh, I always wanted to use that and tried to use that to help tell me if the load was in tune and if this was a good load to go with or not. When in reality, it is almost inconsequential. It's, like like an, you, it's an artifact. If yeah. you have, yeah, a thousand uh, rounds of barrel life and a six Creedmoor, and you've got an extreme spread of whatever the max, if you shot the same load, you could have an extreme spread of really, really, really good or really, really, really poor, and it's the exact same quality of ammo, and the load's going to shoot the exact same. It's just whatever snippet in time you recorded. And so, yeah, I, I record as many muzzle velocities as I can to put into the calculator. Um, but I really don't use them for load development at all because mm -hmm. they are seemingly useless as, mm -hmm. as it turns out. Yeah. Uh, and one more plug I got for this, this subject, um, back on the group size stuff that we did. If you look at all the group size stuff, there's still like a little bit of noise. There's even less noise if you're able to use mean radius. Oh yeah. yeah that's that's true. uh, group size is kind of like the extreme spread of dispersion, uh, and so much as no matter how many rounds you shoot, you're only ever measuring two of them, the worst two that you've got. Whereas mean radius kind of gives weight to every shot that's part of the group. And it definitely helps out. It Well, similar to like standard deviation. It right, kind of helps right. you as a predictive tool as well. Right. Yep. How good is it capable of shooting in the future? Yeah. And you can take mean radius and then you can take the standard deviation of your mean radii and uh, use that as a predictive tool as well. If you want to get really deep in the weeds yep. and like hit probability and stuff like mm -hmm. that. Yeah. And that may or may not be a separate podcast in and of itself but like you were you were just talking about if you're going to shoot the 20 or 30 or 50 shot sample if you're if you hear this podcast and you're like okay you know what everything i've done has worked for me up till now and i've won matches and i've done this that and the other thing but i'll try it you know just okay whatever i'll go out there and shoot 50 shots using that that mean radius measurement method versus just your group size can can tell a lot of things and help you decide one load over the other load right mm -hmm. uh, because you're looking at again not just your two worst shots on paper but every single shot and where it falls yep. in relation yep. to your point of aim. it cleans up that data quite a bit then yeah. a little it takes a little bit like well it depends on yeah it takes a lot of the noise out the more samples you put into it yeah, yeah. mean um, mean radius another way to think of it is your average miss distance because what it does is it takes the distance of each shot from the center and averages all of them. So what do you get with that? It's the average distance from the center the shots hit or missed by, right? Because right? mm -hmm. you didn't hit the center. So you could think of mean radius as what is my average miss distance? And from that, you could start to glean some capability or probability, right? If my mean radius is a half minute, my average miss is going to be a half minute from my point of aim. I'm going to hit a one minute target probably half the time. 
is kind of what what you could use that for. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yeah. And yeah, most of those, you know, well, you could do it in Excel. Um, you could do it in Ballistic X. You know, you yeah. There's, there's calculators that are out there to yeah, yeah do presume, it for you. Yeah. yeah. One day we'll likely have one that'll do that for you as well. Yeah. Um, but that's a good point to bring up that that uh, yeah, group mean radius. Uh, just trying to make things more statistically significant. Yeah. yeah. I got one more thing uh, on the small sample size stuff. If you're doing load development and and cost is is holding you back from doing really large sample sizes up front a small sample size group three shots or five shots it can tell you how bad something is but it can't tell you how good something is if you're going to continue shooting beyond that if that three shot group you just shot that was a quarter minute is the last group your rifle is ever going to shoot it's a quarter minute but if you're going to keep shooting that rifle with the variability that exists in those small sample sizes it's going to get worse Mm -hmm. right but it can tell you how bad something is your first three rounds out of the gate on load development might be two and a half inches and if your threshold for what you're trying to do is an inch you can pitch that one right then right Mm -hmm. so it it can tell you how bad something is but it can't tell you how good something is well real quick now before we wrap this up i want to hear what you guys do well you know we'll say match rifles because that's you know people that are doing this on large scale are generally shooting either match rifles or, you know, varmint rifles, or they're in the precision rifle game, even if they're not competitive. So, uh, you guys, you get a brand new rifle or you get a rifle, you get it broke in, let's say you got hundred rounds on it and it's going to be for a PRS match. What do you guys do for low development now? Or, uh, you don't have to tell us how you used to do it, but what do you do right now? Uh, I see the bullets 25 to 35 thousandths off the lands and forget my seating die is adjustable. Uh, and then I will uh, try 10 shot groups with three or four different powders that are applicable for the cartridge. Um, and those are just kind of feelers. And like Jaden was saying, if any of those are horrible, then I pitch them. If they all look good, then I'll go back and shoot those as 20s and take the best looking one out of that. Yeah. That's all you do. That's it. What are you looking for as acceptable accuracy and dispersion from your system at, at close range when you're doing that In the ballpark, a three quarter minute for a 20 shotter. If it's better than that, some, sometimes they're better. Sometimes they maybe flirt a little worse than that 0.8, you know, mm-hmm. something like that. But yeah, definitely under a minute. And if it doesn't make it, then I'll try a different bullet. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't do that, I'll find a different barrel. I've seen him do it. Yeah. Yeah. Jaden, similar story for you. Similar. Um, what I do is first I figure out what bullets do the job I want to do. So if it's match shooting, that's a certain style of bullet. If it's hunting, that's a different style of bullet. So pick the bullets that would do the job that I want them to do. Um, you have to define the job first, right? How yeah. far are you going to be shooting? You know, what, what cartridge, all that stuff. So I pick the bullets that are applicable. Then I go and pick powders that are applicable to push those bullets at the velocity that I need them to go at to do their job. So if it's hunting, I have minimum velocity thresholds for the bullet to expand, right? Mm-hmm. And, and And that's associated with a range. So I might say... You know, hey, I've been training with this system and it has all the capabilities to ethically harvest an animal at 500 yards. That's where I'm going to draw my line in the sand there. Then everything has to meet that threshold. So any powder I choose has to be able to push the bullets I selected fast enough that they work out to that distance because that's my end of capability. From there, um, like Miles said, start testing. And it depends on depends on where I'm at. Um you know, lengthwise, generally make it fit, you know, in a magazine first, you have to do that. 
Um, but then, yeah, jump-wise, I don't really get too wrapped around the axle on that. Um, I'll test I'll test a load, uh, you know, maybe somewhere in, in f like 5 to 10-ish, but I'm doing three shotters if it's a hunting rifle. If it's my match rifle, I'll just lay down and do 10 straight because that's how I'm going to use it. And then, like you said, just start picking away, you know, that that powder is not as good as that one or whatever it is. And then at the end, you know, if I'm if I'm prioritizing, I have three bullets I've picked, and one of them is the one I really want to use. The other two would work, but they don't have the characteristics as good as the first one. If that first one isn't showing me any promise, then I go to the other bullet. Bail. Yeah. And like you said, at the at the end of that chain is if none of that stuff met your expectations, either change your expectations or change the barrel because the barrel bullet combination is kind of unique. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Well, what, and another follow-up question on that. We didn't address it specifically. We did mention it that in this large sample size testing, you guys tested jump depths and how far that bullet jumps to the rifling and then its effect on dispersion. And you tested that in pretty small increments in large sample size. Miles, do you have any, again, this, I'm not trying to, preach this to our listeners as gospel but from the data you collected what can you tell us about it in the cartridges that i used so six arc and six five creedmoor um with hornady 108 grain eldm 110 a tip 140 grain eldm and 135 a tip it it made a difference it wasn't it was it was it it was small enough that that's my attitude, what I talked about earlier, where okay. I basically jump them 25, 30 thou and yeah. forget that this see is adjustable. How small do you, if you remember, if you recall your data, how small or how large of increment did you have to go before you saw the change? Uh, 15 thou at a time, maybe. You might okay. see it 10, 10 to 15 thou at a time. Okay. And then for meaningful change, 25 to 50? Yeah. I mean, like I said, it, I, I'm. I question to even say that there was a a difference. I almost, you know, yeah. If I was to repeat that, I don't know that it would turn. If the oh, results yeah. would turn out the same way, they're just, pretty. They were pretty dang close. And I just did a hundred thou jump change last week with a six five Swede and a six five Creedmoor with three different R and D bullets. Put them all, all three through both barrels, twenty shotters a piece, with multiple different powders, um, and the hundred thousandths difference in jump that I gave them had really no effect wow on, and the powders were widely different sure in their yeah. performance but yeah. the jump was nothing remarkable definitely eclipsed by the the change in powder yeah. yeah change in powder change in bullet those are the two biggest thing change in primer may mess with velocity may mess with accuracy but it's not huge seating depth is not as big as most people think i think but I don't want to say that all inclusively because certain cartridges, chambers, and bullet designs, bullet, designs, bullet yeah. designs, and chamber and throat dimensions. Yeah. I mean, that, we, that could that could go yeah. all over the. As soon as I say, "Oh, this is how it is," somebody will have some yeah. example that'll prove me wrong. Well, for sure. our stuff, if you're shooting our bullets with our OGI profiles and you're shooting a a good, properly dimensioned, quote unquote, match grade chamber, you know, like a Sammy Spec Creedmoor Arc or any of the other popular match cartridges out there. I'm jump, not. Yeah, I'm not scared to is, jump them 120,000. No. Um, yeah. I, I think there's uh, not as much validity to that as we have thought over time. Yeah. I mean, I think that would be an accurate statement. Is there circumstances where it would make a massive change in performance? Probably. Yeah. yeah. Almost certainly. Right. Somewhere yeah. out there is a combination of variables where it would benefit from that. But on average, it being the primary method to get better dispersion, it's not what I would look to. Yeah. yeah. 
wouldn't wouldn't burn effort there. Not awesome. a ton, anyways. Maybe well, explore it, check it out for yourself. I mean, yeah, do your like own. Like I testing. said, this is far from all inclusive. This is yeah, what just, I've done. It's a lot, but it's not everything. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And I think a good way to end the podcast is it is a lot. It was a lot of testing. It's a lot of data. It's not everything. And again, we're not trying to you know force this on anybody. This is just some real world data that can can alleviate problems for people. Yeah. Um, just like Fordoff is a service for people to use that can give them a better solution to use the product. This kind of testing here and giving guys out there that information can help them better use our product. Cause at the end of the day, we want to make great stuff. We want you to hit what you're aiming at yeah. and, yeah. uh, yeah, stuff like this can, can help you do it. So yeah. with that gentlemen, I appreciate you guys, uh, uh, yeah, taking the time to break that down to my level. And I'm going to encourage the listeners out there. If you have questions, we know you do. I've got them for gosh sake. Uh, send them in to us. Podcast at hornady.com or drop them in at the comments. And, you know, whether it's me or Preston or one of you two or somebody else, we will get an answer for you uh, for all those questions that, that we didn't address here or that you want some more information on. Because, again, this is, this is going to ruffle a few feathers for sure. Um, at the end of the day, if you don't like it, don't do it. And, uh, uh, if you do, uh, or if you want to test it for yourself, please do. And, uh, yeah, we're, we're going to keep testing. That's one thing I can guarantee all the listeners is you guys aren't done. We kind of talked about the testing in past tense. This is ongoing. This is something oh, yeah. that, mm-hmm. that once we started doing, we're only doing more of, and we're going to continue to do more of it into the future because it makes our products better. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that, anything else before we wrap this one up? I just hope, so. hope this was palatable. I know it's not. I don't know. There's there'll be some sticklers that'll want us to get into confidence intervals and all this other statistic stuff. And I'd, this is not the podcast for yeah, that. And yeah, if yeah. you guys hung around till the end, tip of the hat to you. Yeah, uh, yeah. that you did. Yeah, because this is a little more dense than what we normally cover. Yeah. But guys, thanks again, everybody else out there. I hope you enjoyed this one. I know there's a lot of information. I know it's uh, somewhat against the grain, but uh, factual. Data is data, and uh, we want to present that to you in the best way that we can. We hope you enjoyed it. We'll catch you on the next one.